Okay. On Friday nights in the youth ministry, we have been going through the book of 1 John. We have reached to the middle of chapter 2. Uh, we've, we've gone through chapter 2 where he's, he's given them uh, how they can know things, how they can uh, know that they know Jesus. They can know him by looking at their life and seeing if they obey his commandments. Or they can know him by looking at their brother and see if they love their brother. And now he's, he's come to, to a new spot. Uh, we're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to go through to verse 17. Let me begin by stopping at verse 14. We'll start at 12, go to 14. Okay? This is what he says. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest with you this morning. I do not fully understand these three verses. I do not fully understand where he's going with this, with the, the repetition and the confusing order. You know, he's, he addresses the children and then the fathers, and then the young men, you'd think he'd go children, young men, fathers. You know, if I had more time to do some study on this, I'd be able to read more commentaries and be able to help all of us out to understand what, where he's going with this. But in the brief time that I have had to study this, I, I made a few observations that I think are noteworthy. And the first one is that, is that he is addressing all age groups. He's addressing everyone, and he's addressing all of them together. So he's saying all of these age groups are together, they're growing, they're in harmony, they're all at different spiritual levels as well. So what that tells me is that it's okay and that it's normal for there to be different levels of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ and in the local church. There can still be harmony because when we look at our own selves, we realize that, you know, we we're not always where we are. The spiritually mature among us, the spiritual fathers among us, we realize, hey, I wasn't always where I am right now. You know, I had struggles. I had times of doubt. I had episodes where I really screwed up and, uh, and I needed, still needed someone to love me. Some of us, we were so scared that we would be thrown away by everyone else that, that we've never told anyone about our struggles. But... But we know that that's not grace and forgiveness. And so I would like for the young men of Calvary Bible Church to know that that, that fear should never enter their mind because we are going to be building them up and we're going to be interacting with them so that they can be strong, become strong men for Jesus Christ and to become overcomers of Satan. As the passage repeats over and over, two times, every time he addressed a young man, he said, you have overcome the evil one. That's in verse 13. And in verse 14, he says, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. They've overcome. They've resisted. They have put up the fight and won against the evil one, against Satan. And we know young men like to fight, right? Young men are aggressive. They enter this stage, this cowboy or this warrior stage where they just need to hurt something. Like, oh, you're my best friend. Ha! I love you. Right? Just going to chop something. Just got to hit something. 
Perfect example was yesterday at the wave. All right? We have hooligans in this youth group. I just want you to know. I see you all standing right up there. Okay? This is what we did. We went to the wave. We go to the Rose Island, and our, th- and our theme was prison break. Okay? Some of you have seen that movie. I've never... Show. I've never seen the show, but I thought it'd be a cool theme, so uh, we, we decided on this theme. And they decided that I was a bad warden. And, um, and so what did they do? At the end of the day, they plotted, they rioted, and they got rowdy. And after I had helped to put an ice chest in a boat, they figured, oh, he's unarmed. We're going to get him now. And um, you see, because I'd been walking around all day with this little pellet gun that I had bought, just in case they really wanted to act like prisoners. Um, I didn't hurt anybody. I only shot like two people. So. <laughs> Mostly leaders. So <laughs> it was just for show. But they decided that they were going to jump me. And so about 10 of them or all of them, all the guys that were there, they chased me around the beach. They grabbed me. They tied my feet up with rope. They buried me in sand. They held my arms down. Why? Well, Mitchello got him. Mitchello went and found my gun, and he started shooting. Uh, and everybody scattered, so, so that's why I'm here today. But why would they do that? Because they're young men. That's what young men do. They're aggressive. But they have no idea the world of pain that they brought on themselves. The future is bleak, my friends. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, Young men are aggressive and strong, and they're figuring out out how to use this aggression, which leads us to the need not only for physical fathers who lead and guide and teach and display wisdom and to pull the reins on them, you know, when, when when they're about to go too far, they need someone who's going to pull them back, but we also need spiritual fathers who do the same things for us. The young men, and we had a good amount of young guys out there yesterday on the beach. The young men, they need older men that they can go to when they are unsure about something or they're going through a really hard time in their life or they're or, you know, facing suffering or about to make a really difficult decision. They need spiritual fathers. They need men they can go to. They need men who, what does he say? I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. They need men who have known the father from the beginning. Meaning that these men, they have experience. They have history. They have a legacy with God. And they've already walked that path. And they have already felt that pain. And therefore, they know how to teach others how to deal with it. To help the young men. And where would we be? Where would we as men be without the people, the older men in our lives? Where would we be without them? Where would I be without men in my life like Daryl Gwaltney, who was my pastor in West Palm Beach and helped me go through the most difficult time of my life, through a hard transition? Charlie Albury, uh, my dad. Pastor Sean Brennan, who was here, who, although he was my own age, he had a greater body of work with the Lord. He had greater experience. And he knew how to walk with God. So the point is that we need to be encouraging our young men. Not just expecting them to know better and then judging them for it when they mess up. 
Otherwise, when we, when we throw our young men away because they don't live up to our standards, then we end up with the crime situation that we have in our country. Where the men are just wandering around, the young guys are wandering around hopelessly with no direction and no one to guide them. And that's why we need physical fathers and spiritual fathers. So where does that lead John in the, in the rest of this letter, in the rest of this? Um, he praises all these different groups. He praises the little children. We love our little kids, right? And he praises the fathers, and he praises the young men. And now he's about to go into a warning. He's going into this warning about some things that may be temptations for them, especially the young men, especially the young people. Girls, don't feel excluded, okay? I'm just trying to go on what the text is saying, okay? So don't get mad at me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. This is what he says. He says, and he's talking to this whole group, but I think for our purposes today, we can focus in on the young men and all the young people. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Okay, he gives the command. And just like Anthon talked about the psalmist giving the command and then the reason for the command, you know, that's nice and easy, understandable. This is what John does here. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. And then he tells them why. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. What does the word world mean? Well, in this context, the world here is, it's the system of, of Satan's principles and and means for deciding what is valuable. This, this world has nothing to do with God. This is not the world that, just the world that he created. No, it's the world that Satan has control over. So what are these things? He tells us. He also warns that the love of the Father is not in the person who loves the world, nor the things in the world. Now, what does this mean? The love of the Father is not in him. Does it mean that he's not saved? I don't think it does, because, because if that's what it meant, then that would mean that every single one of us would need to not love any single aspect of the world at any time in order to be saved. And if we honestly looked at ourselves, we'd say, we'd say no, that's not true. I, I know that I am not perfect, and I know that there are certain things in the world that I love. If we were honest with ourselves. So no, it doesn't mean that whoever loves the world is, is not saved, or that the Father does not have love for them. It means that in whatever area you love the world, and he's going to go into those areas later, we'll talk about those. In whatever area you love the world... You cannot love the Father. You cannot love both at the same time because the two are directly opposed. It's like me saying I'm a Red Sox fan and a Yankee fan at the same time. It can't happen. They hate each other. The two systems are directly opposite. Or, you know, you say I'm a Cowboy fan and a Redskin fan. These things don't happen. 
Can't say, I love God's purity, but I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. They don't work. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love two things that are directly against each other. And the more you love the world, the less you love God. And you find it harder to live for Him. This is what it means. You say, well, how can you not love God and be a Christian? Well, you can't. I mean, you have to love Jesus to some extent, in some measure. But Jesus tells us to love God with our whole mind, our whole heart, our, you know, all our strength. But do we, in reality... No, we don't. So are we not saved? You know, of course not. We're all in this process of sanctification where we're learning to put off the things of the world and we're learning to put on the things of Christ. This is what he means by the love of the Father is not in him. You know, I spoke at Kingsway Academy earlier this week and, and I illustrated it like this. You know, you say you're going away on, on a shopping vacation and you're packing your suitcase and you're packing two sets of clothes every day for every day because you want to look nice. And if you get sweaty and you shower and you go out at night, you know, you got to eat out every night while you're away. And, you know, you pack your suitcase full. And you forget to leave room for all the things that you're going away to go shopping for. Right? Does this ever happen to anybody? We, and then we buy all our stuff and we come back to our suitcase and we say, oh, there's no room. And so we got to take stuff out, we leave stuff behind, or, you know, we buy a new suitcase, or we, we jam the suitcase full and pop the zipper and, and break everything, uh, or, or we just wear everything that we bought when we come back, and then we show up to the customs officer and we say, I didn't buy nothing. Our heart is only so big. Our heart can only take so much. We can only love so much. And you can't buy a bigger suitcase for your heart. And the more of the world you throw in there, the harder it is to fit God in and to love God or to even want to give God more space. What he's saying is that we need to clean house. We need to take inventory. We need to take stock and figure out, you know, what's in our heart? What's in our brain? What am I meditating on? And if it has nothing to do with honoring and loving God, We've got to chuck it. We've got to lose it. My mom had a project earlier this year where, where the roof was dry rot. And so the whole roof had to be replaced. And while they were replacing the roof, my parents and my sister had to move in with me for six weeks. And also, every single thing that was in the house had to be taken out and put in storage. And while... While we were taking all these things out, mom just looked at all these things, boxes and boxes of stuff, and just said, why do I even have this? I've saved this stuff for years and years and years, and I'm never going to use it again. Why do I have this junk? Like some of my old 10th grade reports, barely literate. And I'm like, why do we have these things? And so we just threw away a ton of junk that was never going to be used again. That had no purpose. And that's what we have to do. We've got to clean house, get rid of the junk. But what are these things of the world that he's talking about? And he tells them, and he gives them three categories, 
lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The things that take up our suitcase. Let's unpack it and see what's in there, all right? First, he, says, he calls it the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. What is lust? A man named Frederick Buchner, he, said, he says that lust is the craving of salt by a man who is dying of thirst. What does that mean? It means that we crave the thing, we crave the very thing that has put us in the negative situation that we are in. The thing that got us there in the first place. You say, gee, you know, I don't love God, so uh, I'm going to fill that void with sex or money. And we think that if we get the girl or if we get the money or if we get the friends or if we get the car... Whatever it is we crave, we'll be satisfied. But the truth is that it only makes us more thirsty and more unsatisfied once we get it. Until we figure out that God is the ultimate satisfaction of our needs. Like a little kid who throws a tantrum for that newest toy. He screams to his mom. He says, Mom, I want this toy. And if, they, and if you get it for them, they're happy, right? Satisfied for a minute. Until the next thing comes out, and then they scream for that. Tantrum. So we shouldn't be feeding our own lusts just because we have them. Just because we have a craving, that doesn't mean we need to fill it. So next time, tell your kid, you know, when they want something, say, sorry, honey, I can't buy it. I'm, I'm helping you to not fulfill the lust of your flesh, okay? That probably won't help them, but it'll make you feel better, all right? What is the flesh? What's the flesh? The flesh is, is like the cravings of our body. It's like our physical body, what it craves, our natural inclination to sin. You know, this includes like things like sexual immorality. This includes outbursts of anger and violence when people make us mad. You know, our flesh just rises up and we just want to hit something. For some people, food is... A craving of the flesh that gets them into trouble. But for guys, especially our young men, it's the girls. And the guys say, well, she's hot. You know, so is hell. But that doesn't mean I want it. So that's the flesh. The flesh is what our body craves. And they can be very natural cravings. You know, the body has a natural craving for sex, for for food, but that doesn't mean we overindulge it. We must be biblical with how we do it. All right, lust of the eyes. These are like the physical things that we see that trigger these cravings inside of us. They make us want things. They make us want things and stuff and money, you know, the, the newest technology that comes out. It's like, whoa, I got to get that. I got to get the new iPhone. I got to get the PlayStation 3. You know, I got to get the BMW. Or the Mercedes. Or, you know, other people like different things. It's that furniture. I need that piece of furniture. I need that piece of jewelry. I need that dress. Or I need that body. You know, these things, they don't have any sinful qualities, you know, in and of themselves. But they, they trigger these sinful lusts inside of us that make us want to put them, these created things, above the Creator. And finally, he mentions the pride of life. These are the cravings for the things that, that we want to be. 
These aren't just what we do or what we want. These are the things that we want to be. This is the need to be the CEO. This is the need for, to have people cheering for me all the time. This is the need to be able to walk down the street and have everybody know who I am and, and respect me. The need to be the smartest person in my class or to be the best athlete. I need people to know that I am the best athlete. I need people to know that I am the smartest person. We try to build up our pride, but what does God say about pride? He hates it because we put ourselves above him. And I, I've noticed a lot when I spoke at Kingsway this, this week, and even just interacting with our teens, that things have changed from when, even when I was in high school. You know, the big thing today is education. These teens, they are, there's huge competition among them. Who's going to be the smartest? Who's going to go to the best college? Who's going to get the best job? You know, and someone will say to me, well, Terrence, you know, it's not wrong for me to have ambition and to want to do well. You know, no one's saying that. That's not what I'm saying. The point is that what's it going to cost you? And does that ambition work with your love for the Father? Or does it take the place of the love for the Father? Because you can love Jesus and let your ambitions flow through that. But, you know, if you're just getting good grades or being that athlete just to make yourself feel good or to make your parents feel good or just to get you ready to make big bucks in a future job, you know, where's the love for the Father in that? If it's all about you. We talked about calling on Wednesday at Kingsway. And the scripture makes it clear that whatever we do, we're supposed to glorify God in it. But if we're pursuing things just to make ourselves more profitable or more respected, just for our own pride, there's no love for the Father in that. And I know with some of this today, some of you are going to say, man, Terrence, you know, you're setting the bar too high. You just included every single thing that I like. And the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I mean, that, en- that encompasses everything. Am I not supposed to do anything? Well, let's be clear about a couple of things, okay? First one is that it's not wrong to enjoy things. It's not wrong to watch television. It's not wrong to want to get good grades. None of these things. It's not wrong to want a nice car. It's not wrong to want to do well. Nobody's saying that. What we're saying is that when we love these things more than we love God, or those things are shoving God out of our consciousness and they take up all our priority, then you've got a problem. Then you're not living faithfully. Number two is that it's not me who's setting the bar this high. I didn't say it. It's the Word of God. Okay? It's what the text says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So what does that mean? It means it's up to us to evaluate and take honest, hard looks within ourselves. We don't like to do this. But we need to be humble and look within ourselves and find all the clutter that has taken up all this extra space that belongs to God. 
and develop a more sincere love for God in all these areas. Why should we do this, though? He gives us a clear reason. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. All those things that you crave, they're going to be gone. Every single person who respects you, those people who you're trying so hard to impress, those things that you want so bad, those rims that you want on your car, they're going to be gone. They're going to burn up. And then what do you have? says, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We should be developing a love for God. We should be storing up our treasure in heaven. Not seeing how much we can get down here. So today when you go home, or you can do it right there in your seat, you can evaluate What's cluttering up my heart? Do I love this guy or this girl more than I love God? Is my ambition taking away from my love for God? You know, and sometimes we'll just be doing our normal daily activities and we'll be walking around and we'll do something and, and we become more self-aware as to how we respond to certain people or certain situations, and, we, and it hits us and we realize, hey, I'm, I'm more interested in that thing or that person than I am in God. And so what do we do? We pray. We confess. We say, Lord, forgive me for putting this above you. Lord, help me to continue the sanctification process. Lord, help me to give you 100% of my heart then, and then we will be able to know what God's will is. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. says. After we have been transformed and we renew our minds, then we'll know God's will. And this says, he who does the will of God lives forever. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus and that he makes it possible for us to love you without sin. Lord, the world is attractive, and it can be hard to, to truly give you everything. So, Father, we, we ask you today to help us to open our eyes, use your spirit to penetrate our heart, to show us those areas in our, in our body that we are, in our flesh, that we love more than you, those things that we desire more than you those things that we want to be more than knowing you, God. And we thank you for your word and that it instructs us and it convicts us. And we thank you that you love us and you don't throw us away.